Hello, everyone. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. From Marcus Lopez, Fabiana Hirsch, I'm your host for the hour, Larry Smith. HB 318 seeks to redefine wild buffalo. And that's really problematic because, you know, bison, buffalo are pretty much one of the only remaining wildlife species who are essentially game farmed, who have essentially been turned into livestock. And that is what is so incredibly special about this Yellowstone population because they are the last continuously wild population who has existed on the landscape since prehistoric times. All of the other buffalo in the country um, have been put there by humans. Today on American Indian Airwaves, we go to the heart of the Nimapu or Nez Perce Nation in Yellowstone National Park in protecting the last genetically pure herd of buffalo that's older than America as the Montana State Legislature considers passing HB 302 and 318, which would reclassify the buffalo and permit the killing of the last remaining herd. That and more here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone Today on American Indian Airwaves, we go to the heart of the Nimapu or Nez Perce Nation and Yellowstone National Park for an exclusive update on protecting the last remaining genetically pure herd of buffalo that are often hazed and killed if they leave the Yellowstone National Park boundaries. Tensions have risen in the area, and Montana State Legislature is amplifying the situation in considering passing HB 318 and HB 302. HB 318 legally changes the definition of wild buffalo or bison, redefining the wild migratory Yellowstone bison herds as domestic or feral, thus legalizing the killing of them. And HB 302 interferes with Montana's constitutional right to participate in decisions to reintroduce wild buffalo by giving a Board of County Commissioners veto authority over the state's decision. In this exclusive two-part interview, Marcus Lopez and myself speak with Stephanie C., who's this media coordinator of the Buffalo Field Campaign. The Buffalo Field Campaign has been working tirelessly over the decades to protect the last remaining genetically pure herd of the Buffalo relations. And now, protecting the Buffalo with Stephanie C., media coordinator of the Buffalo Field Campaign. So, um, as you guys probably know, Buffalo Field Campaign is a volunteer-based organization, and what we do is run daily 
field patrols where we monitor the buffalo's migration and we document all actions that are made against them because when they migrate out of Yellowstone into Montana, uh, there are livestock interests who frown upon that. They don't want to share the land with the native uh, roamers, the rightful roamers of this land. So they're, they're in trouble when they come into Montana, um, and we're, we're always keeping an eye out for them, watching what's going on, and sharing what we learn and our experiences with decision makers, with the media, with, with supporters from around the world. And this year has been kind of an interesting year. Um, typically, we have some extreme winters where snow gets, you know, four to five feet deep. We get dipped down into negative temperatures, negative 20s, 30s, 40s. And this year, we've kind of had the winter that wasn't. The snow never really even covered up the sagebrush that much. And because of that, the buffalo were not, didn't have the, the drive to migrate into Montana in large numbers as they usually do. So that having happened, there hasn't been a whole lot of mismanagement actions made against them. Um, for example, Yellowstone National Park over in the Gardner Basin on the north side of the park was ready to capture and ship to slaughter upwards of 900 buffalo, and they are not going to capture any this year. We just learned that last week. Um, because of the slow migration, the minimal migration, they have no plans to capture at all this year, which is a huge <laughs> boon for the buffalo. We're really, really pleased about that. Um, they have been subjected to some hunting, but again, because the numbers are so low this year migrating into Montana, there hasn't really been um, a whole lot that have been taken in the hunt. Um, all told, today the numbers stand about 98 buffalo have been killed, and that is a very while you know it's sad still it's a very small number relative to the hundreds who are killed year after year uh especially by yellowstone national park yes stephanie when we're talking about the buffalo kills why don't you take our listeners through uh, the last report that we have is the action around hb 318 and hb 202 about the you stated within your publications, kill the bill, not the buffalo. Talk about that for our listeners. Sure. And HB 318, this is actually really timely because that's going to be heard by the Senate, the Montana Senate tomorrow. Um, and HB 318 seeks to redefine wild buffalo. Um, and, and that's really problematic because, you know, bison, buffalo are pretty much one of the only remaining um, wildlife species who are essentially game farmed, who have essentially been turned into livestock. And that is what is so incredibly special about this Yellowstone population because they are the last continuously wild population who has existed on the landscape since prehistoric times. All of the other buffalo in the country um, have been put there by humans. Um, but this, this population in Yellowstone is super unique. We have two separate herds, the northern herd and the central herd, and the central herd buffalo are the ones who saved themselves from extinction um, over 100 years ago. And uh, they still they live today, and they are the direct link to all the tens of millions of wild buffalo who once thundered across this continent. But HB 13 is a threat even to the Yellowstone buffalo because the northern herd 
early on when the park was starting to protect them, there had been individuals who had seen the destruction that was happening and had come across some small groups of buffalo and safeguarded them. And they eventually brought them to Yellowstone so that they would be protected there and they would thrive. But under this bill, this legislation, HB 318, these buffalo could be in danger of being considered either livestock or feral buffalo. They could be stripped of their status as a wildlife species. So we're fighting this bill pretty hard. Unfortunately, our legislature and our governor are very much um, in the pockets of the cattle industry, and so we're probably looking at this bill being passed, and then it will probably more than likely be signed into law, and we'll have to challenge it from there. But right now, um, there's still opportunity to voice your opposition to this bill. We have tons of information on our website at buffalofieldcampaign.org. Um, we have a Buffalo Bill Tracker, which is monitoring all the legislation that is affecting the buffalo in Montana. Um, so people from uh, across, you don't have to be a resident of Montana to take action. I mean, we're talking about our national mammal. We're talking about a species who is native to this entire continent, and Montana Montana does not get to, to pick and choose whose voice is heard on that. Um, so we definitely encourage folks to go to our website, buffalofieldcampaign.org, check out our Buffalo Bill tracker, and uh, make a voice heard in the Montana legislature about HB 318. The other bill that you mentioned, HB 302, is also moving rapidly through the Montana legislature, and this bill is an unfortunate one because it would give the authority to county commissioners to give the say-so whether wild buffalo may be introduced or relocated within the state of Montana. And that is problematic because there's already a public process in place that these county commissioners can participate in. So there's no reason that they should have extra power, extra say-so, in what buffalo get to come into which county throughout Montana. And so, for example, here in the Hebgen Basin, West Yellowstone, Montana, we're in Gallatin County, and we have recently in the past five years gained year-round habitat for these buffalo, where they're allowed to roam. They don't get hazed back into the park anymore um, in certain areas in the Hebgen Basin. And yet, if they were to go just a few miles west of here, they would enter Madison County, Montana. And if these buffalo just naturally migrated into Madison County, Montana, those county commissioners would say, hey, nope, they're not allowed here. They can't be here. And, and that's just not okay. But that's, that's something that these buffalo are facing, that the people of Montana are facing, um, and so, yeah, the, we're, we're fighting pretty hard against both of these, these bills. Stephanie, you're talking to a lot of individuals that may not be, number one, maybe casually go out into the wilderness. Number two, maybe casually go out to the National Park. And number three, don't know anything about migratory or, at the same time, the, what you're talking about is this notion of livestock versus fur, the its relationship, and I think that's, that's important. Why is this so important to the definition of these buffaloes in which the um, 318 says one thing and then you're saying another? 
please take us a, a guide us through that. What's so important about the definition, and what's what's its implications? Well, that's a really good question. Um, so, again, the the Yellowstone population here is the last wild migratory population of of American buffalo left in this continent, and. Um, what that means is, you know, migration, migratory animals, they move with the availability of forage. They move with the changing of the seasons. They they don't stay put in one area. They don't hibernate. They they roam. And, and I mean, the same goes for elk, for deer, for mostly ungulate species, species who eat grass and vegetation. Um, and so if the definition of wild buffalo was compromised as it would be by this bill, then management actions could change, um, which means that we would never be able to seek Endangered Species Act protection for these buffalo because they would be considered either domestic or feral, and they would just they would be under the under the management authority of of livestock agents instead of the authority of wildlife managers or even native native tribes um so the it it seems like it's semantics but it could have some very real dire consequences for this last wild migratory population does that make sense yeah, I, to me it makes sense, and I, I guess um, you mentioned hazing, and I was wondering if um, you know, and just reviewing some of uh, you know the press releases from the Buffalo Field campaign over the last couple of weeks, I was wondering if you can talk about hazing, right, sure. in the context of you know the ranchers, right, passerbys, people hiking, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and and what. Buffalo Field Campaign has discovered over the past couple of months? Sure. So hazing, uh, pretty much by definition, means to make an individual or a group of individuals very uncomfortable where they are. Um, And so these buffalo, whenever they would migrate into Montana for years, for over a decade or more, would be subject to livestock agents, federal agents with the National Park Service, with the U.S. Forest Service, the State Wildlife Agency, um, coming into the buffalo's habitat, the ground they choose to be on, and moving them aggressively off of that landscape, pushing them out of Montana, forcing them off of the ground they choose to be on, using helicopters, using cowboys on horseback, using all-terrain vehicles, snowmobiles, depending on the weather, and chasing them, literally chasing them for many, many miles back into Yellowstone National Park, where livestock interests believe that they belong. They would like nothing more than to have a giant fence around Yellowstone National Park, which is absolutely ridiculous. But You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Stephanie C., media coordinator of the Buffalo Field Campaign. She's speaking on the work of the Buffalo Field Campaign in protecting the last remaining genetically pure herd of buffalo that is older than America and how the Montana State Legislature is amplifying and intensifying the situation to legalize the killing of the buffalo. And now back to the interview. 
so that's pretty much what hazing is. And injuries happen. I mean, they're chased over rough terrain at a pace that is not natural for them. A lot of times these hazing operations would happen during the height of calving season. So that very, very pregnant females, females who are even in labor, females who have just literally just given birth, and their babies would be run for many, many miles um, out of Montana and into Yellowstone National Park. But thankfully, um, in 2015, um, we finally gained year-round habitat here in the Hebgen Basin so that hazing operations have been all but diminished. There are still a few small areas where if buffalo go there, they can be chased away from there, and we're still fighting to gain that ground for them. But for the most part, uh, hazing operations, the industrial strength ones, like with the helicopters and all the cops and horse people, are a thing of the past. And so that is a huge victory that we won for these buffalo. And we're still, you know, we're still reeling in it. Every spring we're always looking out for the boogeyman. He's going to come and chase these buffalo away, but they don't come anymore because they're not allowed to. And so that, that, was, a, that was a really important victory that, that we gained for this last wild population. With hazing, is it a legal practice either at the state and or federal level and if either HB 302 or 318 passes, does that change the practice of hazing that the Buffalo Field Campaign has witnessed and documented over the years? Sure. So first, let me answer the first part of that question, which is yes. Under the Interagency Bison Management Plan, which is a state federal tribal plan, hazing has been absolutely a legal management tactic that they use. Right or wrong, it is legal. Um, but as far as the passage of 318 and 302, that is a really good question, something that we are not sure yet exactly what the consequences will be. But, for example, if 302 passes and the county commissioners have a say-so as to where buffalo are allowed to restore themselves or be restored, probably hazing would be a tool that they would use if the county commissioners decided, no, you're not allowed to have buffalo in this county. Um, so that would probably be something that would take place. As far as HB 318 and hazing, I, I don't exactly know what, what to expect um, from that bill down the road that that remains a mystery and it's part of why that bill is so dangerous is because we don't exactly know what the consequences could be for the Yellowstone buffalo um it could be extreme well stephanie the information that you give on your website and your newsletters you sent out also you talked about the governor gray game forte um position and maybe changing the position. And what you said earlier before about the interagency management plan that, that has been created, which is, which you covered already, we covered in this uh, American Indian Airways, but we see that there's a lot of things that need to be changed. The, and you stated that also the Buffalo Field Campaign, the repeal MC 81 to 120 and to create a new bill. What does that mean to you? Montana Code Annotated, MCA 81-2-120, 
is a bill that was passed in the Montana legislature in the mid-1990s that gives the authority over wild migratory bison to the Montana Department of Livestock when they come into Montana. And so that bill means that the folks who are absolutely opposed to the buffalo are the ones in charge of them when they come into Montana, which is like putting the fox in charge of the hen house. No disrespect to fox, but you know what I mean? I mean, it's a really dangerous thing. And that bill, set, that law has set the precedent for all the mismanagement um, documents and guidelines and management plans that have come since then. So the interagency bison management plan, which was signed in the year 2000, was a direct result of that particular law. And so if we can get that law repealed, then we can get, get a lot more accomplished um, that would benefit wild buffalo. I, I was curious, uh, what's the the interplay between federal agencies, right, and the state? In this case, uh, we've been talking a lot about Montana. And does the, at the federal level, in terms of the agencies that are involved, is there been any incremental shift or an indication of a shift with the new uh, Biden administration? Well, we still have yet to see anything there. Um, We are very much looking forward to Deb Howland being at the helm of the Interior Department. We did submit a number of really important documents to the Biden administration um, after Biden was elected and put into office, uh, and those can be found on our website, www.buffalofieldcampaign.org, under uh, BFC's news, and we shared those documents um, just detailing, you know, how, how management should look for these buffalo, for our national mammal. I mean, for crying out loud, this is our national mammal, and they're being sorely mistreated uh, by state and federal agencies. And so, of course, we're calling for a halt on that, and we're calling for um, these agencies to respect and manage wild buffalo like wild elk are in Montana, which elk are free to roam. I mean, their numbers are strong. They're free to come and go as they choose. And the same should be for the buffalo. Um, but you can you can check out those documents that we sent to the Biden administration on our website, uh, buffalofieldcampaign.org, and um, and just you know, and that would help a lot of people who do want to advocate for them, giving them some fodder, giving them some some um, points, talking points, and stuff for um, for representing the wild buffalo. Stephanie, you talked about before about the nature of what's going on on the land, what's going on, for example, uh, what you're doing in every day and every week, you're, you're not accepting any more volunteers, obviously, because of COVID-19. Right. But talk about, talk about uh, the Hapson, um Basin, and there's another basin that's um, um, closer to that. Uh, give us a picture of what's what going on. You mentioned a little bit in your discussion about changing in the weather, what does that mean as far as our relatives of uh, the buffalo, how they behave? What is there any behavioral differences? And if so, are they getting in, into um, a direction in where uh, they get in harm's way of the many of the people that are, that are trying to destroy them? Talk about that for our listeners. Sure. So, I mean, uh, again, the, the, Buffalo migrate into Montana through 
from Yellowstone National Park into both the Hebgen Basin, which is on the west side of Yellowstone, and the Gardner Basin, which is on the north side of, of uh, Yellowstone. And I mentioned earlier that there are two populations, the central herd and the northern herd. The central herd exclusively migrates into the west the Hebgen Basin, west of the park, and both the central herd and the northern herd migrate north into the Gardner Basin. Um, and the weather is very different. There's an extreme difference in elevation in each basin. West Yellowstone, the Hebgen Basin, um, has extreme winters, uh, typically, um, where we get many, many, many feet of snow and very frigid negative temperatures during the winter months. And it's, you know, difficult for, for a lot of, especially ungulates who need to eat grass to, to find food um, through that deep, deep snow. And over in the Garden Basin, it's a little less severe. The interior of the park um, is pretty close to the Garden Basin, so buffalo come down into the Garden Basin from that high elevation plateau um, seeking, seeking available forage, which is pretty easy to find in the Gardner Basin, but management actions are extreme over there. So this year with the weather we haven't had we haven't had a lot of snow i mean we've had some snow a couple of feet maybe but it hasn't been enough to really drive a significant need to migrate the buffalo are pretty much doing okay inside the park because the weather was so mild this year and now we're having some pretty warm temperatures and snow in the gardner basin is almost gone and snow here in the hebgen basin is rapidly melting and so we're looking at a pretty early spring um and and then probably a pretty early green up which means the grass will start growing sooner than usual and and it'll be uh, pretty easy on the buffalo, but right now, also with that melting snow, this is a really difficult, challenging time of year because the snow in the daytime gets kind of soft and will melt, but then it freezes at night, and then it becomes almost concrete to our buffalo buffalo, a 1,600-pound female or 2,000-pound male can walk on top of the snow. And so when they do, when that kind of condition is occurring, they can't use their faces to crater through the snow to get down to the grass beneath. So this time of year, they spend a lot of time along creeks and rivers so that they can get to the sedges, which they also eat, that are available along the banks of those waterways. So this is a time when what we call winter kill really takes a hold of the buffalo. This is a time when you start to see ribs on them, their hip bones on them, um, and it's a challenging time to be, to be an animal who's, who eats grass because the grass is really difficult to get to right now. But in the end, the spring is coming rapidly, and the snow is melting rapidly, and so not too long from now, it should be pretty, pretty, good, pretty good for the buffalo. And then, you know, calving season is, is barely a month away, so we're going to be celebrating the new arrival of baby buffalo here in next month, which is very exciting for us. But as far as patrols go... Here in the Hebgen Basin, where we do have a lot of snow, we're still going out on skis, skiing in the migration corridors, checking on to see if there are buffalo there, and if there are, how many are there, what are their movements, 
what are the, you know how are they doing and then in the Gardner basin um it's a really big territory with not a lot of snow so we're spent a lot of time in our vehicle and you know using spotting scopes and binoculars to to get a good glimpse of the landscape and see what buffalo are around how many are around how they're using the landscape there and right now in the Hebgen Basin, we do not, there are no buffalo in Montana right now. Uh, we expect the spring migration to start here in the next couple of weeks and when they come to their calving grounds and, and start to, you know, get sustenance from the south-facing slopes, which open up, snow melts a lot more quickly on those south-facing slopes. And then in the Gardner Basin, we're seeing uh, migration back into Yellowstone um, because conditions are pretty mild and there's really no need for them to um, be in the Gardner Basin right now. And so they're also returning to their um, calving grounds pretty soon here. And that was part one of a two-part interview with Stephanie C. She's media coordinator of the Buffalo Field Campaign, and she's speaking on the protection of the last remaining genetically pure herd of buffalo older than America throughout the Yellowstone National Park region in the state of Montana and how Montana State Legislature is intensifying the situation to reclassify the buffalo in order to permit the legalized killing of the buffalo relations. And now a world premiere song by Joy Harjo, the song Once the World Was Perfect off her brand new album, I Pray for My Enemies, here on American Indian Airwaves. Once the world was perfect and we were happy in that world Then we took it for granted Discontent began to rumble in the earthly mind Then doubt pushed through with its spiked head Once doubt ruptured the web all manner of demon thoughts jump through We destroyed the world we had been given For inspiration, for life Each stone of jealousy, each stone of fear Greed, envy and hatred put out the light without a stone in his or her hand there we were right back where we had started we were bumping into each other in the dark and now we had no place to live since we didn't know how to live with each other then someone shared a blanket Kindness made a light, the light made an opening in the dark, and everyone worked together to make a ladder. First, the wind clan people climbed through, and then the other clans, the children of those clans, their children, their children, all the way through time, 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 to now, to you. Once the world was perfect, we were happy in that world. Once the world was perfect. Once the world was perfect, we were happy in the world. Once the world was perfect. Once the world was perfect. 
Once the World Was Perfect by Joy Harjo off her brand new album, I Pray for My Enemies, here on American Indian Airwaves. And now part two of our two-part interview with Stephanie C., media coordinator of the Buffalo Field Campaign. She's been speaking on protecting the last remaining genetically pure herd of the buffalo relations throughout the Yellowstone National Park region and how the Montana State Legislature is intensifying the situation and attempting to pass new legislation to permit the legalized killing of this last remaining herd of buffalo. And now, part two of Protecting the Buffalo Relations with Stephanie C. of the Buffalo Field Campaign. Now, Stephanie, why don't you describe to our listeners, when you're talking about these basins, whether it be Gardner, whether it be Hudson Basin, how many acres, how many yeah, how many acres are we talking about? Give oh, wow, idea. that's a good question. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of acres. Um, it's a dot on the map. If you look at the map, it's like the tip of a pinhead. But um, on the ground, you know, we're talking hundreds of thousands of acres in each basin. They're huge landscapes. And within the landscape, uh, you mentioned probably on the side, but nevertheless, the Highway safety patrols and the safe passages, the relationship with the relatives of the bison and the public. Um, what's the, and you mentioned earlier about the increasing public awareness and the migration corridors. Talk about that. Well, as far as safe passage and highways and stuff, um, especially over here in the Hebgen Basin on the west side, uh, we have Highway 191, which cuts right through the migration path for the buffalo and numerous other wildlife species. So in the spring, when we get the large um, herds coming into this basin that are moving towards their calving grounds, they're on the highway. They have to cross this highway. And buffalo are very unique. They, they aren't afraid of cars. They aren't afraid of the road. It's not like deer or elk who will just bolt across the highway and then there they go. Buffalo will literally bed down in the middle of the road. They'll take up both lanes of the highway, and and you know it's like we they, they from their perspective they created these pathways. They created these. I mean, a lot of our highways on the continent were originally buffalo traces, the buffalo trails. But um, here in the Hebgen Basin, the highway is extremely dangerous, and Buffalo Field Campaign acts. Uh, we're we're crossing guards for the buffalo. So we're out there. This is when we also, we don't just do morning and afternoon patrols. We also do night patrols um, when the buffalo are migrating and are on the highway so that we can warn traffic. We set up these giant um, professional highway signs, you know, buffalo on road, buffalo on highway. We try to warn traffic, get them to slow down um, so that the buffalo can make it safely across. But in you know, at nighttime is a totally different story because the buffalo are extremely difficult to see because of their dark coat and because of the placement of their eyes. Um, they, you, don't, you don't see them very well at night until it's too late. And so there's a lot of semi-traffic, a lot of 18-wheelers that use this corridor, use Highway 191, and they're the ones typically in the nighttime, who come into contact with buffalo and kill them on the highway. So our night patrols are extremely important and have been um, responsible for saving numerous lives, both buffalo and human. But it's not enough. I mean, you know, we're out here doing the best that we can, 
and we are, you know, directly saving these the lives of these buffalo on the highway. But we need safe passage infrastructure. We need bridges or underpasses um, that allow the buffalo and other wildlife to cross the highway without ever having to set foot on it. And it makes perfect sense being here on the edge of Yellowstone National Park. Why wouldn't you want something like that in place? I mean, and it's not, again, it's not just the buffalo's lives that we're saving. It's numerous other wildlife species and also, you know, humans. I mean, you don't want to come into a car crash with a buffalo. It's not going to end well for anybody. Um, But the sad thing is, is while even the state of Montana recognizes that, yes, these safe passages are definitely needed, they don't deem them feasible, which means worth the money, until human lives are lost which is really sad because buffalo lives are lost and their lives count, you know. Um, but Montana was not going to put forth the money until human lives are lost. Um, so in the meantime, we're going to do the best that we can, and we're going to be out on those highways every night, every day, helping warn traffic and helping buffalo make it safely to their calving grounds. Now, Stephanie, what can people do to help the Buffalo Field Campaign? There's so many things that you can do. If it, if it weren't for COVID, I would say just come here, come and join us on the front lines, and eventually our doors will open back up. But in the meantime, um, you go to our website, buffalofieldcampaign.org, um, sign up for our weekly updates from the field so that you can keep on top of all the things that are happening and all the actions you can take. Um, we have a lot of take action opportunities um, to write letters to Congress, write letters to the governor, uh, contact these legislators in opposition to the bills we've been talking about. You can also, we have newsletters that we can send you that you can put out in your neighborhood, DVDs we can send you so that you can show people in your community what these buffalo are going through. Um, And, you know, there's all kinds of things that people can do to help. Um, obviously, we take donations, and those are always very, very welcome, um, monetary or in-kind, meaning, you know, if there's gear you want to send us, like skis or, you know, long johns or wool socks, we, we love that. Um, but, yeah, if you just go to our website, buffalofieldcampaign.org, and there's loads of opportunities on different ways that you can help the buffalo. I had a uh, maybe a complimentary question, and it takes it slightly in a different direction. I'm not sure if it's something you want to talk about, um, but you mentioned the cattle ranchers, and I can't help but um, uh, think about how the Buffalo Relations has been commodified, objectified, and monetized, right, with the rise of um, of Buffalo you know, meat being sold in stores throughout yep. the United States, right? So that whole um, uh, economy of, of the buffalo industry. And I was wondering if you're comfortable in, in talking or speaking to that in, in how that motivates, if you will, um, or undergirds the actions of the cattle ranch industry, hunters, but also uh, the facilities uh, in which the lives of the buffalo relations uh, are taken. Sure. So again, um, you know, when we talk about buffalo ranching, I mean, this is like, this is what this country deems a conservation success story Mm -hmm. is turning buffalo into livestock. That's pathetic. It's game farming. It's not right. But it is rampant all over the country. There are about half a million what we call beefalo 
in this country, and most of them all live on ranches. And that is, again, what makes the Yellowstone population so unique and so special and so worthy of extreme protection. They're the last wild ones, the last ones. I mean, almost all the other buffalo in the country, are they live behind fences. They're wearing ear tags. They're managed as livestock. They are livestock um, and that's, you know, that's a sad thing, and that's what this country calls a conservation success story. We'd like to see those fences taken down. We'd like to see this wild migratory herd repopulate the country on their own accord. Um, and, you know, and then once that happens, when we have a million in Montana, when there's millions more in, in other places where they once roamed, um, you know, forget livestock ranching. I mean, people can hunt buffalo. You know, I mean, that that was a way more respectable way for these buffalo to live and be in relationship with humans. Um, but, yeah, the, the the ranching industry is is pretty strong. I mean, there's there's tons of buffalo ranches in Montana already. And um, a lot of people think that, oh, well, it's so much better than cows. Um, I'd rather eat, you know, ranched buffalo than ranched cattle. And it's like, okay, sure, a lot of places do say that the land does a lot better when there's buffalo um, instead of cows, but you're still looking at a, a species that's being managed as livestock, and, and that is not a sustainable way to be. That is not um, going to be something that works in the long term. Uh, we need wild migratory buffalo to be able to fulfill their ecological obligation to this land, the land who chose them to be the rightful roamers on this continent, who know how to, you know, take care of the earth. I mean, they're the ones who built these prairies, you know. They don't deserve to be locked up behind fences and made, like you said, made a commodity of. That's just, it's, it's, not, um, it's not an honorable way for these buffalo to live. One other question I have, and that's on that particular discussion you talk about, our particular role and how we see this question of wild or this question of nature. But, and we talked about the, the a better management plan. Talk about the national parks. Anything change about that? Any new insights that you can share to us as far as maybe some new, a new um, particular postures they're taking now? Are they helpful or hurtful? They are absolutely continuing to hinder um, the restoration of wild bison. They are bending over backwards to appease Montana's cattle interests. They have lost all courage to stand up for these buffalo. They, I mean, you can talk to individuals, and they will say, you know, we really hate that this is going on, that we're participating in this, but as an agency, as a government unit, they are full steam ahead with um, the status quo, with treating wild buffalo as vermin, treating them as if there's an overpopulation. I mean, it's, yes, they are definitely still in the way of, um, of wild bison restoration. And, I mean, you know, when you look at it, Yellowstone National Park has the most buffalo blood on their hands anymore. The Montana Department of Livestock doesn't even really do anything anymore. They've got Yellowstone doing all of their dirty work. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of buffalo go through that capture facility at Stevens Creek every year. This is the first year, and I don't know how long, <laughs> that they're not capturing buffalo. And that's mainly because of the weather and because of the minimal migration that has taken place this year. But Yellowstone National Park is definitely, they are at the helm 
of bison slaughter, and their hands are red with buffalo blood. When you're talking about that, Stephanie, talk about a better management plan. What's on the forecast? A better management plan is so simple. It is the most simple thing ever. Just leave them alone. They don't need human intervention. They don't need any assistance. They just need to be allowed, allowed, which is human-centric still, allowed to walk the earth one footstep at a time, and they will take care of everything. Humans are the ones who have to change. We can, we can live with wild buffalo, and, the, you know, we have a subdivision, and a literal housing area subdivision on Horse Butte that is the perfect living classroom of coexistence. The people there love the buffalo. They get hundreds of them in the springtime, sometimes in the winter, too, and they are fierce protectors of them. And they're all over the neighborhood, and people are out walking their dogs, kids are playing in the yard, and there's buffalo right there, and it's not a problem. And so this is a perfect example of how easy it would be for us as humans to learn how to coexist with these elders. I mean, the buffalo have been here longer than humans have, you know? And, I mean, they are just waiting for us to catch up. They're waiting for us to remember how to figure it out, to remember how to learn to live together. Um, And, again, you know, to put it into, like, management terms, Manage wild buffalo like wild elk. Wild elk are free to roam. Nobody's getting in their way. They come and go as they please. They walk the earth as they please. They're a healthy population, and the same could be done for wild buffalo. I don't, you know, humans just humans are the ones who have to change. It's really that simple. And that was Stephanie C. of the Buffalo Field Campaign speaking on protecting the last remaining genetically pure herd of the buffalo relations throughout the Yellowstone National Park area. For more work on the Buffalo Field Campaign, you can visit their website at buffalofieldcampaign.org. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're going to take a break with Parafay, Sacred Seed, and transition to John Trudell. We are the shapes of the earth. It's all cycles of life. Follow seed, plant, and conceive. The up and down worlds collide. Over and over comes this sacred birth. The blood earth sacrifice. Spinning warp and escarting yay. Magneto's fear dancing in flight. Expands to Highland Pangea Stand Scott Woman Tree of Life Star Southern Moon Claw inside Control ocean tides together Further rain find hurricane For winds and begin forever Within each seed is a universe Within a universe you mean everything that breathes is connected to the sacred sea, sacred sea, DNA, the memory of all time. Mother's twin sons recorded code creates all the cycles of life.
alive Falling sleep, flat and conceive Up and down worlds collide Over and over come the sacred birth The blood of sacrifice A spinning orb in the sky Man made his fear in Expands to rising Pangea Stats go up a tree of light hey. Star, sun and moon coincide Control ocean tides together Thunder, rain, fire and hurricane For winds and begin forever Within each seed is a universe Within the universe You and the air, a strength that breezes come down to the sacred sea. Sacred sea, DNA, the memory of all time. Mother's twin sons, recorded cold creates all the circles of life. talk a little bit about who we are because I think the coherency of our future depends upon us knowing who we are and I mean truly understanding who we are because our relationship to reality and our relationship to power is based upon that understanding but sometimes I feel like I'm in a reality where we don't remember who we are so therefore we don't know who we are we speak a language we don't understand and because of this we don't know where we are. And I think that we live in a technologic reality, that these conditions are the result of a mining process. I'm going to call it a mining process. And there's a reason we are in this situation. But it's got to do with being fed upon by a system. So I want to go to who we are. See, we're the human beings. And it's very important because we all know how to say the words. We know the terms. I know we know the terms because they taught them to us. They programmed this to us. And The, 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 the words, human beings. But our relationship to reality is in that definition. So human, the bone, flesh, and blood, the DNA of the human, the bone, flesh, and blood is literally made up of the metals, minerals, and liquids of the earth. So we are parts of the earth. We are shapes of the earth. We're forms of the earth. This is the form that we are. All of the things of the earth have the same DNA as the human does. Everything of the earth 
has the same DNA as the human. Everything is made up of the metals, minerals, and liquids of the earth, but the shape is just different. And the purpose is different. And being, we have being. That's our essence, that's our spirit. And all of the things of the earth have the same DNA as the human has, so all the things of the earth have being. Spirit. And our relationship to power and reality is in that understanding of who we are. We are forms of the earth, and that's reality. Nothing will ever change that reality. What has changed is our perceptional <laughs> relationship to reality. And what has happened to us through the millennium and through this whole technologic perception of reality, what has happened to the human beings, is I, to me it's like a disease in one way, it's like this thing just kind of spreads, and as it diseases the spirit of the people, it affects the perception of reality. So in one way it's kind of like that, it's like a possession. But in another way, it's almost like a mechanical thing, this mining process that takes place. And it's almost like this thing that they call technologic civilization, see, is predatory upon our lives. Anybody ever feel something's missing from their life? Like purpose or understanding or self-worth or self, whatever the deal is, they're mining us. <laughs> All right, they're mining us. And one of, the, one of the objectives of this whole technologic, civilized, perceptional reality has got to do with erasing the memories of the human beings. Because we have a common collective experience. We are all the descendants of tribes. Back in the time of the original dream, see, we were all tribes, and we were all the Earth's children, and we all knew that the Earth was our mother, and that we were a part of a spiritual reality, see, because we had being. We understood that there was a spiritual reality, and we were physical in a spiritual reality. We being who we are today, however we landed in this reality, whoever we are today, we carry the genetic experience of our lineage from the very beginning. It's encoded in the DNA. It's like a genetic memory. Something about the experience of the journey. We have it in us. It's like... But anyway, within our genetic memories, within our genetic memories, somewhere hidden in there, we all come from a people. Every one of us comes from a people that understood that we lived in a spiritual reality. And because we lived in a spiritual reality, every one of our beginning ancestral peoples understood that life was about responsibility. So we were responsible for the past and the future as well as the present. And we understood that all things had being. So we knew who we were, we understood what we were saying, and we knew where we were, we knew our purpose. And this reality lives in our genetic memory because see as human beings whoever we are the individuals we are now that experience is there it's at 90 percent of the brain to tell us we can't use <laughs> so they're using it <laughs> the moment of silence is over Yeah, and that was John Trudell. We are the Shapes of the Earth off the Descendants Now Ancestors album here on American Indian Airwaves. That concludes our show for today. A special thank you to Stephanie C., media coordinator of the Buffalo Field Campaign. And a special thank you to our musical guests, Aragon Star, Kuba Aina, Joy Harjo, Parafay, and John Trudell. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burnt Swamp Studio in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, Fabiana Hirsch, 
I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. The moment of silence is over. And for the innocent, you can't justify why your freedom manifests on their graves. And the blood never comes clean from their guilty minds. Nor the hands that hold the chains In a rhythm of resistance We still fight for our lives In this war that never ended We've outdrawn your lives Let our actions speak When they ignore Silence is over.